Hello and welcome to the Multiverse of Badness, the comic book podcast that proves that kids will literally buy anything. I'm Zach. And I am Mike, and we are here to guarantee that the girls have fun, because from what I understand, girls just want to have fun, Zach. It's true. We were having an uh, hour-long, in-depth conversation about the lyrics of Cindy Lauper. Before going live, it's what we like to do to get the energy up for the Multiverse of Badness podcast. Yeah, our humor will shine through like our true colors. Round of applause. If when you're editing this podcast, you can layer in a round of applause, because you deserve that. <laughs> so welcome, Mob Squad, to the Multiverse of Badness. What a book we have for you today. We are going to be jumping into The Flash, number 304 from December 1981, with the first appearance of Colonel Computron. And I'm going to confess that I have books from around this era because I'm a man of a particular age, and this was when I would be on the spinner racks and grab books. And I was hoping that I had this one, and I don't, because apparently even 10-year-old Mike was wise to how exactly fucking stupid this was. And I am highly impressed, because we go through great lengths to find very interesting-slash-bad villains-slash-heroes. This one, Zach, I must confess, is the dumbest one that I've seen. And or you were talking about a round of applause. You and... You deserve an entire stadium full of applause for finding old <laughs> Colonel Computron. So I understand where you come from as a natural naysayer to these kinds of villains, but let's just talk a little bit about Colonel Computron before we get into today's book. So his real alias is Basil Nerblin. Um He's a, I think, nebbish would probably be the, the best way to describe him, um, short of calling him a cuck. Uh, and this is literally ripped straight from the dc fandom wiki concerning his power set it says colonel computron's costume is portable computer system capable of determining to the nth degree the amount of effort needed to accomplish any physical act as well as powerful exoskeleton easily able to exert that force his suit allows him to demonstrate superhuman strength, the capacity for super-swift reasoning, and the ability to construct sophisticated automatons called blips. Now, apart from the blips, we don't see any of that in this book. <laughs> no. What we do, we see, as you mentioned, a cock just getting, at times, just pushed completely around by a guy that later in the book looks like a metrosexual kingpin. <laughs> So yeah, basically, uh, Basil Nerblin, uh, he is, there's no point going into it. This literally is what the book is about. Right. Now, what I do want to mention about this, and you pointed this out to me via text, is that Carmine Infantino is one of the legendary artists of the DC Universe. He is responsible for the new Batman look with the yellow circle around the bat, etc. And he's well-respected, but I'm going to say this is not his best work. This series on The Flash is what is historically recognized as the birth of the Silver Age of comic books. And <laughs> I understand the fourth panel in this book, we will talk about it, I'm sure you'll post it on all the social medias when this episode is out, is one of the bonkiest drawings I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> There's more than just that one, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> so as you say, it's penciled by Carmine Infantino, written by Carrie Bates, who not only wrote Action Comics between 1967 and 1986. How many years is that, Mike? 67 to 86, 20. 
Ah, no, 19. Ah. I'm close. As well, <laughs> as well as he wrote the animated RoboCop series, RoboCop Alpha Commando, which I sent Mike the theme song of before we recorded. It is Spectacular Mob Squad. If you have access to YouTube, search the theme song for RoboCop Alpha Commando and thank us later. It has less words in it than our Multiverse of Badness theme song, just to let you know. <laughs> Uh, so I think that's enough about uh, setting up what we're getting ourselves into again this week. What do you say we jump into Flash 304? Let's blip into this. Let's blip into this. It's computer game chaos for the Flash, the fastest man alive. Now, I've got three questions just to start our discussion of this book. Question number one. How does a computerized children's toy put the Flash on the track of Central City's newest costume crook, the mysterious Colonel Computron? Per the usual with these comics is that it just so happened that they happened to be in the right place at the right time. Otherwise, Flash wouldn't have even been involved. (laughs) Very good answer. Question number two. What is the motive behind this bizarre figure's compelling quest for diabolical revenge? Well, our nerdlin' buddy feels like he has been smited by his boss with a bad bonus. And I want to mention this because I have felt this pain. I spent, not to go on a rant about my last job, we're just going to put that aside, but what I did receive, because I put in many, many extra hours to help design a product that turned out to be not a very good product, but also many overtime hours. And I, you want to know what I received as my bonus for that? Now, I got my normal bonus, but as a very much a thank you for all the hard work I put in that year, you want to know what I received, Zach? Subway gift card. Subway gift card would have been good. I received a bag of make-your-own-waffles, a bag of coffee, <laughs> and some pre-wrapped <laughs> plastic salami and cheeses. And I'm going to guess this cost all of, you know, 50 or 60 bucks. And I would like to think my CEO was actually sitting around going, you know what? Mike's done a great job this year. You know what he would like? Pre-packed plastic cheeses, make your own (laughs) waffle kit and whole bean coffee. So you mean a make your own waffle kit is just essentially the ingredients to make waffles. Yes, it is literally just a bag of flour. (laughs) They didn't give me a maker, just the kit to make my own waffle. Well, finally, question number three. Is there any way even the fastest man alive can escape from the most bizarre doom trap of his heroic career? Considering there was a Flash 305 and an entire (laughs) television show and movie created after this, my answer is going to be yes, even without reading further. Heavy spoilers, Mob Squad. Heavy spoilers coming up. So we begin our story, in air quotes, uh, in Utopia Towers, home of Fiona Webb and Barry Allen and their neighbor Mac Nathan, as they sit down to celebrate Mac Youngson's birthday. Now, good old Uncle Barry, <laughs> I think we're going to refer to the flash up from this point, has bought his young son. Do we catch the kid's name? I keep. I was looking. I can't see if I can find it. Zach Jr. here. Zach Jr. Uncle Barry has bought him the hottest toy around the the number one selling in its millions must have product the captain computron which i have to point out looks like an ashtray with spikes well you know what smoking is dangerous they just want to hammer home that fact buddy you know like as you reach to put your cigarette in the ashtray you run an extra risk of having your wrist pierced (laughs) 
<laughs> well, young Zach Jr. here shouldn't be smoking at his age anyway. Well, his dad does have a pipe that looks like it is stuck to his cheek, if you it's, notice in the panel here. It is, it, it's not in his mouth. Not Carmine's best work. It's okay, though, because it provides a lot of unintentional comedy, <laughs> like said fourth panel on the first page of this book, where Barry Allen's eyes are going in every direction <laughs> that they shouldn't be. He genuinely looks like he's on spice. Do you have spice in America? Is that a thing that's a, a, a drug that's raging through the youth? As a 50-year-old man, I can't really comment on what our youth is using today for drugs, um, unless it involves alcohol, which I can speak to. Otherwise, no, I have no idea, Zach. I apologize. Uh, but yeah, it looks like Barry's <laughs> on spice. There we go. End of discussion. Yeah, he's a hot mess. Is are most of the drawings in this, especially the dad a few pages later when he comes in hot with a gun, but that might be the worst <laughs> drawing I've seen in my life. I'm just throwing that out there. So they're all enjoying Zach Jr.'s birthday party when we cut to the headquarters of the Wiggins Toy Corporation, which is the company responsible for the Captain Computron. Uh, Barry even points out that they're doing so well, a friend of his has bought two condominiums with last dividend payment alone. Well, you know what they didn't buy? A very safe building here, because this is the thinnest building I've ever seen in my life. It's like a heavy breeze would push over the Wiggins Tower here. It is the exact dimensions of a domino, you are, <laughs> you're correct in saying. <laughs> we, before we actually get to them, though, we have to point out the Captain Computron, as a toy, the number one selling thing, is like a, it's supposed to be a supercomputer. I guess. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what it does. Uh, Barry Allen says it's designed to expand the capabilities of any mind at any age. I think it's supposed to be the the next evolutionary step for humanity. I'm going to just say this. Being a kid around this time, this is not something I'd have wanted. I don't know how they sold millions of this. <laughs> expand your mind, Mike. It's like, no, I got better shit to do. There was better ways to expand your mind. Anyway, we, we're, no more legal high talk. So we're at the Wiggins Corporation, and... A nebbish, uh, nay cuckish friend, Basil Nerblin, <laughs> is having a meeting with his boss, uh, Willard Wiggins, owner of the company, who looks like a deflated kingpin. <laughs> it looks like someone's taken Wilson Fisk and let like 30% of the air out of him. <laughs> and he's thanking uh, Basil for all his hard work. Basil created all of the uh, microtechnics, they call it. Uh, the components to make the Captain Computron possible. And as a reward, what does Willard Wiggins give him, Mike, for all the hard work that he's done? A bag of waffle mix, some coffee, <laughs> and prepackaged plastic meats. No, he gives him $99, which is a hell of a lot better than the reward I got for all the hard work I did. So I don't understand why Basil's pissy about this. $99.95. Oh. It's, I think that was what it was. He was like, you're not even worth the full hundred. I'll get close, but I'll just edge you with the, uh, with the ton. I'm sure there's some tax ramifications he's trying to avoid with that. He doesn't look like a, uh, a, a good businessman. <laughs> An effective businessman, not a good one. So we cut to that evening where Basil, the sheepish uh, nerd, I think is fair to call him. It's fair. He's a... A nebbish cuck and a sheepish nerd. <laughs> he <laughs> He's sitting at home and rightly so, his wife is giving him shit 
for creating millions upon billions of dollars worth of revenue for the company and walking home with a cool $99.95 as a thank you. Uh, It looks like it's a common theme in their marriage. She looks sick of his shit. She's got her rollers in. She's going up to bed. But he sits there with a wry smile on his face, Mike. It looks like old Basil might be up to something. Yeah, he's scheming, but we don't exactly know what he's up to. But he seems pretty smitten with himself at this point, even though his wife has pretty much uh, owned his shit up till now. Well, if you turn the page, you find out exactly what it is. And it's the magic in gum is bubble yum. No, that's an advert. <laughs> it's more impressive than Colonel Capuchon, <laughs> but regardless, the, the drawing is better. I'll put it that way. The drawing is much better. <laughs> That evening, we cut to Mac Nathan's apartment. Everyone's asleep. They've had their, their bellies are full of cake. They've played pin the tail on the on the donkey. They've had a right old birthday party. They must be knackered. But all of a sudden, the Captain Cobutron toy starts to fizzed and fizzed and buzz and glow. And what looks like a three year old's rendition of what a robot should look like seems to be emerging from it. <laughs> It's entirely made of squares, and then it's got two spaghetti <laughs> Yeah, in their defense, this is still new technology, so Basil Nerland didn't want to go through the trouble of creating unnecessary tech that would go into this, so the arms can be spaghetti arms, because as you know, tech back then did not have all the gigabytes that we can put in now, so he had to really limit down what he could put in the small toy, just logistically, so I actually understand. Yeah, but you're saying that there, because of how technology was at the time, that that is the physical limit when it comes to human imagination. Why couldn't the writers have just been like, he has all that power and ability, but it's just a sleek suit? Not like, realistically, if this guy's going to have all this power, it's going to be a bulky old computer unit. <laughs> Why not just Give him a hat that gives him all the power. Why does he have to look like a fucking fridge on steroids? Why does the guy with the gun have to look like the most unrealistic person I've ever seen in my life for your panels later? I don't know, Zach. That's a very good point. Getting us back on track. Mac Nathan, he wakes up hearing a disturbance, thinking that there is trouble in Utopia Towers. He does what any good American does, and he grabs his gun and runs topless into the living room looking for action. You're goddamn right he does. <laughs> That That is a great illustration, actually. I kind of gloss past that one. He looks really happy with himself. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> uh, of course he is. He gets to use his firearm legally. Why wouldn't he be happy? <laughs> when next door, his neighbor Barry is going through the last of his lab reports for the day. Hears a commotion next door and fires. And I love this about the Flash fires his costume out of his ring and somehow gets into it. Like, does he just fire it and run into it? What was he do if he's in work and he accidentally knocks his ring on something and his flash suit falls out? How's he going to explain that one? Well, that's not a flash suit. And then I'm going to a costume party later on, I guess. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm a really colorful gimp. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> well, you know what? Basil Nerdland's a cuck. We got the gimp over here. I mean, this is going to be a hell of a party. It's a sexually charged episode, Mike, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, wait until Dark Claw shows up later, and then shit's going <laughs> off the rails. So the Flash does what the Flash does best, and shakes every molecule in his body so that he can Kitty Pride his way through the wall. That's right, I said it, it's Kitty Pride's power, not the Flash's. To find Mac Nathan unconscious on the floor, 
the window completely shattered, the room ablaze. Obviously, he's like, something's happened. The fl- he's, he's, a, he's a forensic scientist. He's probably going to be aware that this isn't how the room was when he left it. <laughs> you would think, but again, we've there are so many comic inconsistencies that nothing surprises me anymore. As you like to say, Zach, I don't think this actually happened. I don't think this actually happened, Mike. Okay, okay, okay. So... <laughs> The Flash seemingly gives Mac Nathan a hug on the floor while they're on fire in this panel. He's a hell of a good-looking man. What can you see? He is. I mean, he's, he's an absolute hunk. And what I love is that to put the fire out before uh, Mac Jr., Zach Jr., wakes up and sees the commotion, the Flash points out that, luckily, I know where Mac keeps his fire extinguisher. How many of your close personal friends do you know where they keep a fire extinguisher? That's the first thing I find out when I go to a new friend's house. I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm afraid a fire might break out today. Where's your extinguisher? Just in case. It's a good way to live. I understand how you've got to such a ripe old age taking these precautions. <laughs> Safety first, Zach. Safety first. Safety first. So the Flash saves the day. He puts out all the fires. So... The Flash is hot on the trail of whatever just fucked up his best mate's living room. And he finds a trail of electricity <laughs> leftovers. Yeah, uh, this is this is scientifically accurate, I'm sure. Electrical residue, essentially. He like, follows the trail uh, to find that whoever he's been chasing shoots themselves into a lamppost somehow. I allow for a lot of stupidity in comic books. This may be the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't really understand logistically how this all works. (laughs) There is an even stupider story beat coming up, which I'm very, very excited for. So the next day, Barry is hanging out with Mac. The uh, Troy, that's his name. This far into the podcast, we find out the child's name is Troy. Troy's upset because his toy is broken. It looks like it's short-circuited. His dad's still confused about the antics of last night. And Barry's like, well, I know, but I can't tell you because I'm the Flash. Don't lock my ring. There's nothing in there for you. But he decides to <laughs> fix the toy for, for Troy. With his super speed, goes through every microcircuit to find the problem when the phone rings. And who should be on the phone? And this, <laughs> this is absolutely genius. But... <laughs> the man who sold Barry Allen, the Captain Computron, stating that he's in dire trouble because that specific unit was being held back for none other than Willard Wiggins, the company boss. <gasps> Intrigue, Mike. <laughs> What's intriguing is how much this guy is sweating. Willard Wiggins owns the company. He can have any... Captain Computron, he can have 6,000 Captain Computrons delivered to his office right now. Why? Because I'm pretty sure Barry wouldn't have bought it directly from the company, but from a toy shop. (laughs) Why would Willard Wiggins have to go to a specific toy shop to get one unit that has been specifically held for him? It just seems so suspect. If I was Willard Wiggins and they were like, no, no, the only one you can get is that very one from that shop. I'd be like, fuck you. No, something's up with that. Well, the other thing is, too, and you make a valid point here. I just thought of this. You would think that his son would get the first Captain Computron, not the one after millions have been sold to other unsuspecting children. Oh, my God. Yeah, his son actually must have been waiting like 
a while for it. Watching every other kid in the world have one and not not him. And his father has access to, oh my God, Willard Wiggins deserves everything he gets, which turns out is not a lot. Nothing really happens to him. No. No, the only thing that really happens to him is he gets knocked over by a computerized guy here in the next panel that might be the most hilarious drawing of any villain I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> so Barry agrees to return the, the toy to, to save the toy salesman's job. And our melted little uh, kingpin, we, we cut back to his house. And <laughs> as Mike pointed out, he walks into his office, which I love. He points out, he's like, shouting out loud to his son. And he says, how many times do I have to tell you? Do your homework in your own wing of the house. The den is off limits, even to your mother. (laughs) This is solely Wigan's room. This is where he does all his weird masturbating. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Don't don't pick up the magazines on the floor, young Wiggins. So, our giant washing machine bad guy with his (laughs) stolen cigar grabs Little Kingpin and just throws him like he's a rag doll, but onto a sofa by the looks of things. Like, he gets really angry like he wants to throw him. He's like, I don't want to hurt him too much. Have a nice lie down. As you mentioned, he has plans. So he, does he doesn't plans. want to hurt him yet. He plans on hurting him very soon in one of the most convoluted ways I've ever seen, but that's beside the point. <laughs> so... We cut to the flash hot on the trail of what's happened. And I I can't remember just how many times it says he did it, but he's basically just been running laps of Willard Wiggins' mansion, waiting for trouble, waiting for something to kick off. And on something like his 27th go-around, he notices a broken window. (laughs) It's it's got to be hard going that fast, trying to like, wait, 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 wait. All I'm saying is, Cornering must be really hard as the Flash. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Uh, Another great uh, Infantino delight on the bottom of this page where (laughs) the Flash is being contemplative, but it looks like he is straining for the widest poo he has done in quite some time. It's... It's a look of the, the look of determination you get when you just absolutely have to get this out of your body now or it's over. <laughs> well, see, this is actually is part of the continuity of this story because if you remember early on, they were eating an entire birthday cake for the three of them. It looked like one of those cheap-ass Entman's cakes. And Barry, just later on that night, he's like, don't want to see this cake go to waste. So he just shoved it all down his gullet and now he's having the side effects. Well, it's... There's a little teaser for next week's episode. Not the only DC mainstay we're going to see with stomach troubles in the multiverse of madness. Uh, So the Flash spins around for some reason. Apparently that's something that he can do and it makes him see (laughs) the, the magical electricity residue again, which leads him to the Central City Coliseum, several miles away where we have the enigmatic tumble dryer of doom <laughs> colonel computron <laughs> aka the nebbish basil nerblin this guy's name is so hard to say and he has kidnapped he's got willard wiggins now remember earlier on mike in the podcast when i talked about his power set that he had and it said that he had the ability to construct sophisticated automatons called blips mm-hmm 
I think that's them. See those little uh, angular R2-D2s yes. that are holding Wiggins? Blip 1 and Blip 2, I believe. So those are supposed to be super sophisticated. They look like you could knock that over with a swift kick. <laughs> Everything's very angular, though, with Colonel Copytron. If you look at the gun that he's holding, that is all angles as well. I think it was an artistic choice by Carmine Infantino. I don't think it was the right artistic choice by Carmine Infantino. Yeah, it's the least we're going to get on to Mr. Infantino about this story. So this is where the book really loses me, because it turns out <laughs> Colonel Computron, his whole plan was that he was going to shoot Wiggins with a magical gun that will transport him into a video game. Am I right to say that is what's happening, Mike? I think so. Again, it's a bit ridiculous, and the video game doesn't look very interesting when we get to it a few pages later. But that's beside the point. You would think with all of the logistics and all of the science that went into creating this, he would have created a more interesting game than Pong to put the metrosexual <laughs> kingpin in. But instead, he just rips off Pong, and he's like, here you go. I'm just going to bang you up against the walls. We do get in the middle of this sequence a nice little advert. Uh, it's a one-page comic strip called The Penguin in Penguins on Parade, where the penguin makes all his penguins do a parade so everyone's distracted, goes to do a crime, but, uh-oh, there's hostess fruit pies. And he stops and he has a snack, which gives the police enough time to catch up with him and arrest him, but he doesn't care. His tummy's full. He'll sleep it off in his jail cell. And little-known fact, Zach De La Rocha actually was inspired by this comic for the song Bulls on Parade. <laughs> he thought uh, it would be too on the nose if he were to, to do penguins, so he just changed the animal. It was an artistic choice. So talking about the Flash's inability to corner, he... <laughs> <laughs> Way to bring it back. <laughs> he bolts into the room just as Colonel Computron shoots his angular gun at Wiggins, dives in the way, knocking Wiggins to safety, but he gets hit with the beam, and he seemingly gets sucked into the gun, which is the transportation method to his 2D world of doom. And I genuinely think from this point in, this was genuinely just, oh my God, this book was supposed to be in yesterday. Because the <laughs> illustration of Flash in the 2D computer world is by far the most insulting thing I've ever seen in a professionally drawn comic book. It's adorably bad. <laughs> I don't really... This is something if my three-year-old child brought me this and said, look, I drew the Flash, I'd be like, try again, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, my, oh, my. And this is the thing, the stakes aren't really that ramped up because after bouncing around a little bit and going, oh, this is actually a bit painful, the Flash just leaves it. <laughs> he, just, he just gets out. He's like, okay, that was fun and then turns himself into, like, electricity or something and jumps out of a wire, and he's fine. This is unbelievably bad. For all the comics we've done, this story, and we've done a few, and we've done some convoluted storylines, this is possibly the dumbest comic I've ever read. The dumbest non-intentionally dumb comic I've ever read. Let me put it that way. So they try to justify it. Uh, Flash says, My foe converted my molecules to impulses attuned to the electronic frequency of his screen. 
but he didn't count on my being able to alter my impulse frequency. What does that even mean? That That is utter convoluted gibberish to be like, oh, I can just like shake myself out of this wire back into 3D existence. <laughs> well, as the Flash is escaping the 2D world and coming back to reality, Colonel Computron is escaping the room so he can live to fight another day. And it blew my mind to find out that, like... Not only does he appear in more comics, but he is like one of a few characters whose backstory stays perfectly in place following Crisis on Infinite Earths. They were like, this guy is so important to DC, we can absolutely not change anything to do with his backstory. Yeah, I don't think you want to change this backstory because it is elegant and it's stupidity. I'll just put it that way because old Basil Nerdlin here, of course, now has escaped and he has to go back home to his wife, who still hasn't taken her hair out of curlers, this bitch. He's going all cuck style. He's just leaning into this. Day to day is just shuffling around their apartment, waiting for this sheepish little ineffectual man to come home, make you tea, and then scuttle away to a dark corner in case he offends you. <laughs> but I love that they're supposed to play it off on the final look, because it does end with him serving his wife tea and her being like, you squirmy little coward. My mother was right when she said I shouldn't marry you. And he's like, oh, yes, I know what you mean. Nudge, <laughs> nudge, wink, wink, like he's some magic supervillain. He put the wrong guy into the machine and everyone walked away scot-free. That is not a super crime. That was just an inconvenience. Well, you know what the super crime is? This book. The fact that he's been pissing in her tea for the last 20 years and she did not know it, which is why he's so smitten with himself when he serves her. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's some fine tea. But that brings <laughs> us to the end of this story. Thank God, because I don't have much more into it. There was a Firestorm story at the end of this book where he has to fight a teenage vampire or werewolf, no, there rather. Wasn't. But we're not going to talk about that. I tried to read it, and I just couldn't concentrate on it. So let's jump into what we do. Two more sections to close out the show. First and foremost, Mike, as my guest on the Multiverse of Badness, I would like to put it to you to uh, rate the book. Pick a thing you would like to use as your measurement of rating, and then rate this sucker. I'm going to rate it on shirtless guys brandishing firearms in their living room. Because that is one of my favorite panels that I've ever seen in a comic book for all the wrong reasons. So as far as shirtless guys brandishing firearms in their own living room, people are well aware that I enjoy bad comics. That whatever makes me laugh is usually going to get a higher rating than it probably deserves. This is none of that. This is awful <laughs> from start to finish. There's really, except for the badness that it brings... There is nothing redeeming about the story. There's nothing redeeming about the artwork. There's nothing redeeming about the consistency. This is very much my first one. I'm not, you know, I'm going to give it one and a half because being a computer guy, the image of the Flash does crack me up enough to give it a one and a half shirtless men brandishing firearms in their own living room. Fair enough. And I love your choice of measurement as well. It's uh, one of the only redeeming things about this book is that one panel of Mac Nathan <laughs> flying into action looking pleased as punch about the possibility of killing a man in his house. 
I, on the other hand, am going to rate it in Crimes Foiled by Hostess Fruit Pies. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, honestly, you're not wrong. That I had a few ideas. Obviously, we'll, I won't say what it was because we will use the later date, but you, for good reason, said we should hold off on it. So this was really a last-minute book for me to find. And just on the appearance of the character i was like let's do this one this can't be good looking like that and it's it sparked very little joy for me if we're, <laughs> if we're gonna get all fucking netflix about it i will i will throw it away i don't need it it sparks no joy uh so i will agree uh with a 1.5 okay that's fair and how would you bring our friend colonel computron into said real world Shit, I didn't even think about that. I, I, I don't know if I'd want to. I would like to see uh, Mac Nathan series on the day-to-day. What, what is Mac Nathan like as a person? The trials and tribulations of, I believe, a single father. You don't really see a partner, so let's assume that he is a single father. Uh, in a big city, which just so happens to be in a superhero-based world. So mm-hmm. it's like a, a normal man in a highly dangerous situation. Give me that series. That's what I like to see. That's actually better than my... I'm not even going to have a series, so that's better than what I'm going to suggest. Colonel Computron gives very much early 80s breakfast cereal vibe <laughs> as <laughs> eating Colonel Com- Computron blip cereal, and he's kind of on the cover smoking a cigar, and he's like, try the blip cereal, and it's got the stupid... I again, as a man of a particular age, I know how bad the commercials were back then. And this Colonel Computron could have easily been pimping children's sugary bad breakfast cereal. So I'm <laughs> all in on him being a mascot for a '80s cereal brand. I I would eat Colonel Computron's bl- what do you call them blips? Blips, sure. That's a great yeah. That's brilliant. I think that's a little side hustle we'll do. We the the NFTs went down a storm. We've conquered that market. Next is. Breakfast cereals using already licensed characters. I don't know if we're going to pull that one off. <laughs> and the, the breakfast cereal looks like little bitty washing machines. And yeah, it'd be great. And we could like crack up little bits of motherboards and sprinkle that in for crunch. <laughs> yeah, that's safe. <laughs> well, but of course, you know, we did have a, a sharp ashtray that we were throwing around earlier. And a guy brandishing a gun, just not knowing what the hell's going on in the living room. It could have been his son. And instead, he just runs in hot with guns blazing. So safety is not at the top of the mindset of this week's comic book. So I think it's par for the course. (laughs) Well, luckily, we are uh, finished with our contractually obliged conversation on this hot, sludgy, fuck Sunday of a comic book. So why don't you tell the Mob Squad about where they can find us outside of the podcast experience? That is one thing I can do. If you are on Twitter, you can reach us at Multiverse of Bad. If you are on Instagram, you can reach us at Multiverse of Badness. And if you are on Facebook, just fuck off because I don't mess with that. And then finally, as far as emails go, where can they reach us via email, Zach? They can reach us at Extremely Sweaty Salesman at MultiverseofBadness.com. That's not our preferred email address, but we'll take it. (laughs) But with all that said, we are going to tune out this week. But please, next week, get your Colonel Computron cereal bowl ready and tune in next time for The Multiverse of Badness. 
Oh, I love this fucking Colonel Computron. He is a hot fucking mess. 